Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, the podcast which explores what it means to be a future leader. This week's podcast is produced in partnership with IE Hub, the tech company for good who are working hard to help vulnerable customers. So it's no surprise that in today's podcast, we're talking about fuel poverty, poverty in general, and the energy crisis. We welcome Matt Copeland, Jess Cook, and Andy Colton. Hi, everybody. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, So, um, Jess, I'd just like to start with you, if you don't mind. Uh, Would you mind just sort of telling our listeners who you are um, and what kind of motivates you to be talking about uh, today's topic um, and sort of just your thoughts on what's going on across the industry at the moment? Yeah, um, so hi everyone who's listening. Um, I'm Jess Cook. I'm a project development manager at the charity National Energy Action, or NEA. Um, we're a, um, a fuel poverty charity. Um, we've existed for the last 40 years to ensure that everyone can live in a warm and safe home. Um, but the area of work that I focus on is more based on water poverty um, and actually looking at um, how people um, can afford their water bills. And the thing we recognise is that people don't struggle with one bill in isolation. Um, multiple things are a problem to them if they're struggling. Um, and so it's really important, I think, that we we look at things from a cross-utility perspective and understand where one area changes, how that impacts on another so obviously the recent announcement with um, the energy um, bill, um, bill price cap rise um, affects everybody. Um, and so those that are struggling already are going to be struggling even more. And that means that they'll potentially start struggling further with other bills, such as water, as a result of the increases you see in energy. Cool. Thanks, Jess. Um, and, and Andy, would you mind just um, introducing yourself and, and give a flavour of what's kind of motivated you to join us today? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. Uh, so I'm Andy Coulton. I'm the founder and CEO of Hope Energy. Um, so we're in the process of entering the UK supply market. What a time to do it. Um, um, but the, the driver for me getting involved in the industry to start with was to try and make a positive difference primarily around climate change. Um, so we're trying to do things a little bit different. So we've got a carbon negative energy tariff that we're uh, you know trying to get trying to get live. But also, I think it's I'm really keen to try and explain some of the goings on in the industry because it's complex. It's really, really complex. And I think the better people can understand things, the better they can make decisions. Um, We've got an online community and I asked the question yesterday, just I'm on this podcast talking about uh, the price cap and everything. And and quite a few responses saying, you know, why is this happening? Where is the support? Who should be responsible for the support? So I think it'd be really good to to cover some of those things as well, because this is going to impact um, so many uh, people, the, the, price, the energy price rise, and as Jess was talking before, you know, water prices are rising as well. Cost of living is rising in general, yeah. um, so it's it's really important to so many people. Cool, cheers, Andy, and and feel free to jump in with those with those questions from the community because I think it's whilst I've come up with a bunch of questions today, I think um, having questions from the community are really really important at, at this time. So jump in with those when, um, sure. when we've got a minute. Um, and, and Matt, uh, how about you? Kind of t- tell everybody who you are, what your sort of background is, and um, and why you're here today. Yeah, th- thank you. Um, so, so I'm I'm the head of policy and public affairs at National Injection. So I, I work alongside Jess in our our advocacy team. Um, and and my background is in the energy sector. So so I used to work for an energy supplier. Um, so I, I like to think that I, I sort of understand how things how things work from that perspective. 
um, but now working um, at NEA to, to really try and influence um, the government, the regulator and businesses to make decisions that are in the best interests of, of your poor and vulnerable households. And what we've seen in the last week um, or so, and continually actually, um, decisions that are made by government um, in terms of energy policy and made by Ofgem as the regulator of energy can have a huge impact on on the way people live their lives and, and how how adequately they can keep their homes. So we see it as a really um, important part of our work as a charity, not just to directly help people, but to shape um, the frameworks in which we all live to make sure that that works well for people. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Matt. And just staying with you for a moment, then, Matt. Um, now, it's it's really easy, I think, to to look across the headlines of the industry at the moment and kind of form form a view um and certainly those inside the industry are seeing how the, those headlines are very simplistic what's what's your view on on how we've arrived at this point of you know massive price rises lots of lots of customers falling further and further into field poverty what what's what's your sort of view on that this is a really good question and it is incredibly complex there's, there's lots of different things going on in the market um, that, that either make things better or worse for households. But I think there's a couple of things that really dominate it. Um, firstly, um, this price increase is, is dominated by um, sort of a, a, a massive increase in the wholesale gas price in the European markets. Um, and that is something that um, we as a country have limited control of, as I understand it, and it, it, it's it's sort of a, a a bigger thing, a bigger market thing. But that that is a cost that is being passed through to consumers. Um, something that's additional to that in our country, across the UK, uh, that really exacerbates the problem for people is the quality of our housing stock. So our housing stock is among the worst in Europe okay. um, in terms of how energy efficient it is. And of course, if we're just uh, wasting energy as heat is pouring through our walls because we haven't made our, our homes as efficient as they should be, that means we are using more gas than we should do, use more energy than we should do. And uh, the cost of energy is increasing a lot more than, than it probably should do. Um, if, we, if we had um, really tried to insulate homes from sort of top-down perspective, so those are the two really big things that are driving this uh, cost of living crisis, to be honest. Um, but there are a couple of other things that, that have been happening at the same time, which, which are interesting parts of, of the interaction. Uh, one is the price cap, um, that we currently have a, a price cap for, for everyone on a, a default uh, tariff, a standard variable tariff. So, so once you fall off your, your fixed tariff energy, um, you automatically go into one of those tariffs and that's protected by the price cap. It wasn't always that way, and, and price capping really started um, in the in the mid 2010s as the Competition and Market Authority implemented a, a price cap for prepayment customers, uh, which was one thing. Um, Ofgem, as the regulator, then extended that so it would go to, to more um, more households, more vulnerable households. So not just those who use prepayment meters, but those who were um, eligible for the warm home discounts. Um, after that. Theresa May and her, and her Conservative government um, uh, uh, decided that more people should be protected by price caps. So, so we ended up with a situation that we have today 
Um, and now we have price caps where every six months Ofgem updates the level of that cap. So, so the maximum standing charge and unit rate that, that suppliers can offer. Um, so that puts a limit essentially on, on what suppliers can, um, can charge everyone on those tariffs. What happened at the same time is that, and, and, and I think that the, the price caps have been really good for consumers over the past year. They've really delayed this, um, this massive increase in price for quite a long time and, and shielded people over winter from this. But what happened over the last five or 10 years more generally in terms of the energy strategy, the retail energy strategy from both Ofgen and Bayes was a real drive to make sure there's more competition in the market. And that led to a lot of more suppliers entering the market, some of which were, were competing on new, having new propositions, new ways of serving customers and new, um, new technology and those sorts of things. But some were competing very much on price but um, seemingly artificially on price. Um, and that meant that as we saw huge volatility in those wholesale markets over the last six months, they were unable to cope with that volatility because the price cap was there. They were unable to pass through those cost to consumers because they, they hadn't necessarily um, properly hedged the way that they were dealing with energy. That has led to um, lots of suppliers going out of business, mm. uh, exiting the market during that period. And that's created lots of new problems as well. So it hasn't just been that prices have gone up and that's being passed through to consumers. There has been an issue with the market as well, whereby those suppliers exiting the market has led to an extra few billion pounds worth of costs for everyone to need to cover so, so that um, we can keep the energy market going for everyone. So um, I think there's a combination of um, consumer-friendly price cap regulation, which I think generally is good, um, this drive for competition, which has probably had some benefits in some areas, but, but has obviously had a lot of problems in the last year. And our, our poor housing stock energy efficiency, all combined with this, this sort of once in, a, once in a generation gas price increase has led to, to quite a few problems uh, yeah. over the last year and will lead to more problems over the next year, obviously. Agreed. Um, I think, Matt, you covered such a wide area there. Um, now, uh, Andy, rather than asking you to repeat a lot of what Matt's covered, because he's, he's like ticked every single box there and such a detailed answer. So thank you for that, Matt. Um, I want to kind of throw you maybe a little bit of a bomb, which is, would you, would you agree that the price cap is a good thing for both consumers and the industry? Definitely good for consumers, um, although it is in some ways, um, it's, it's short term, isn't it? Because as, as Matt has said, the costs that are now uh, for the failed suppliers, of which there's you know million, billions of pounds worth of costs, they are still going to be paid by us as, as end consumers. So I suppose what it does do, it kind of smears it out a little bit. Um, I think though, there is a decision that perhaps as a, as a society we need to make around, you know, the free market versus, you know, not having a free market and the pros and cons of each, because we're sort of trying to double in between the two, you know, where it's a free market, but it's not really a free market. And, and the reality is, you know, wholesale prices are, are what they are. And energy supplies have been making a loss for quite a long time, even when wholesale prices were, were, were low. Um, and, and I would, I would argue that's, 
that was probably wrong and that was a bubble that was always going to going to burst because it was a, a bit of a race to the bottom um so it's one of those where <laughs> i think i would like i would like to see um more taxation for related to energy but in general taxation so around you know in income tax or in you know capital gains and not just in your energy bill so to pay for some of these costs you know to for the failed suppliers but also to to decarbonize i don't think it's necessarily right they should all go into an energy bill and then you know the energy suppliers have they've got no choice by the way you know they have to pass them on to consumers because there is no other source of funds for for energy suppliers um and so i think there should be, it, it shouldn't just all be in the energy bill because it also disproportionately affects people on lower incomes because they're probably the ones who can't afford to insulate their houses and therefore probably paying more, uh, you know, per square foot or whatever it is in their, in their property than, than, than more well-off people. Um, so I think it, it, is, it is a good thing, but I think it's, uh, we, need to, we need to revisit this whole setup in the energy industry. Yeah. Um, there was just just one other point I was going to make because um, yeah Matt did a great job of going through everything COVID did have a big impact as well um, obviously COVID um, simple supply and demand um, you know if you think we we're all in lockdown the whole world was in lockdown demand for energy went down um, supply was still there and just you know prices therefore fell then we had the opposite happen where everyone came out of lockdowns um, demand for energy is high suddenly supply is low and as well as yeah, there was in the UK, there was a real perfect storm of low wind, interconnectors being down, Russia playing geopolitical games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many factors that that led to that real spike in kind of the autumn of last year. Um, but I think you could argue this, this is this was coming for a while. I think the speed it ha- which it happened was exasperated by COVID. But I think this has been coming for a while. And um, yeah, here, here we are. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely those real experts in the industry saying this was absolutely predictable um, as a as a as a as an event, rather than always calling it out as we we could never have seen this. So I think that's yeah. a, that's a good point to make. And, and just one other thing. So I think I think some of the suppliers that Matt talked about earlier, I think I think weren't 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 run particularly well because some of them without naming names had you know hundreds of millions of pounds worth of debt but would state this is all part of the plan you know literally when they'd go out to the market to say this is all part of the plan those suppliers are not here anymore you know so um, that may have been part of the plan but they did not have enough contingency clearly and maybe the regulator didn't do you know a good enough job around risk management or around the capital outlays and don't get me wrong as a new supplier it's it's hard you know and it is a struggle at times but um yeah there's lots of there's uh, i think there's lots of blame that can go around for where we are today but i think you're right Ian. i think it was predictable to a point cool thanks andy um and just staying with the price cap for a moment jess and obviously as a as a water industry expert and the knock-on effects of, of that i just want to get your thoughts on you know the, the new price cap and the impacts it's, it's going to have absolutely on other industries like the water industry um, and how they may even be react- reacting. Are you, are you speaking with your, your partners across the water industry and what they might be doing to help consumers as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, it's important to note that when anything changes in, in one industry, it's going to have a knock-on effect on another. Um, you know, We see this um, price increase coming from, from energy at the same time and, and announced just the day after um, water bills um, will also be increasing because the cost of inflation is increasing and, and these bills increase in line with that. 
Um, so it was it was expected, um, not always welcome, and and nowhere near as high when you look at average um, bills to say that you know water bills were increasing on average by one point seven percent compared to fifty four percent in energy. Then that's quite substantially different. Um, but what we potentially are going to see is that um, people have to start trying to cut back in places in order to be able to pay for a bill. So um, energy, you know, we always hear about the, the choice between heating and eating. It's not really a choice that people make. It's something they're forced into. Um, but that's not the only choice um, that they maybe have to, to make. You know, what we what we find within um, the water industry is actually um, water can't be disconnected for non-payment. It's actually illegal for companies to do so and has been since 1999. Um, as a result, it's treated as a non-priority bill. Um, and because it's a non-priority bill, it means that the consequences of non-payment are less and therefore people are more likely to stop paying that bill um, in order to pay something else. Um, and so what there's a potential that we might see here is that um, water bill defaults actually increase um, and that can potentially be used as, a, as a, an indicator, a lead indicator for financial difficulty mm -hmm. um, that if they start um, start missing payments in water um, then they may start doing so in other areas as well um, and something I've been trying to encourage um, the industry to think about for some time now is how they can use that information and, and potentially um, share um, a financial vulnerability flag of some kind whether that's via the priority services register which already exists as um, a mechanism for identifying different vulnerabilities or in another data sharing um, mechanism I don't really mind just so long as you know, a water company identifies it and says, this is the start of a problem. Could they then tell energy? Could they then tell council tax and so on? Yeah. If it's spotted on the other side, it can, of course, vice versa can work because it's not always going to present the same, but it's probably worth mentioning that that's something there. Um, and water companies, you know, for, for a long time have offered quite a lot of support to customers um, and awareness of that support is still extremely low. Um, they offer many companies offer things like um, debt write off um, where a, com a customer agrees to a certain uh, payment plan based on their ability to pay. Um, and then after an agreed time, if they keep up pay repayments, then they'll actually clear that debt for them um, mm. and let them start afresh, which is a really great thing. Mm. Um, other things like payment breaks and um, social tariffs and other support like that have always existed, too. Um, so people should really be encouraged to look to that, I think, um, and, and try to see what they can. And so companies are trying to find ways of promoting that support in another way and, and reaching those um, people that maybe they haven't so far. Yeah. Um, and if I can, actually, I just wanted to make one more point because um, Andy um, mentioned that, you know, about COVID. I think there's another way that we can look at COVID. Obviously, Andy's point was um, the impact of COVID on energy and people using more at home. But actually, the pandemic itself has also, I think, exacerbated this crisis. Um, you've got literally jumped from one crisis to another. Um, and, the, you know, the pandemic um we, we look at things like uh, towards the end of, in October last year, the universal credit uplift being taken away um, when people have been relying on that for, for some time. We look at the low income households that are now in arrears. We estimate around 3.8 million households are in utility arrears as a result of that. And all of those being in low income households, I should stress. Um, we also estimate that 4.4 million low income households have either taken out new or increased borrowing during the pandemic. So they're already in a worse situation. And mm. then when you add in the fact that the energy crisis has pushed the rate of inflation to a 30 year high and you start looking at cost of living everywhere else, whether it's through transport, rent, groceries, whatever it might be, 
we're in a really challenging situation where people are going to have to make really, really difficult decisions for their families. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's some worrying statistics, um, but it's, it, it's positive to hear uh, how many good steps the water companies are taking. Um, and, and some of those steps uh, we see in energy, but but not certainly not all of them. Um, and I wonder how much of how much of those are kind of the yeah the energy companies sort of sit behind because it's a competitive market versus a, a regional market. Um, and certainly, what what I've learned is you know, the regulator doesn't allow for social tariffs in the same way in energy that it does in water, which is a little bit of a little bit of a bugbear of mine and i can see andy you were shaking your head then um as far as sort of with a look of sadness with what jess was saying as to how hard this is going to hit um what, what were you thinking yeah i mean the, the the numbers isn't it the sheer numbers of people that are going to be in fuel poverty and and as, and as jess says quite rightly it's not a choice between heating and eating you know it's, it's forced upon them and i think just to whilst this is going to get even you know even more miserable um you know this price cap rise that's coming in is coming in in the summer you know the spring and summer when our energy prices are at their lowest in the year because it's warmer we don't use as much there will almost certainly be another price hike and it actually could be through every three months now by the way so off gem have announced but let's say in the, in october when it when it traditionally is that there almost certainly will be another price rise uh, as we go into winter when people are going to use even more fuel. So this is only going to get worse. And, and I think the, re the reason, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, the reason I was shaking my head and just feeling a bit, you know, miserable about it is I can't help. We've got the wrong government, you know, we've got the wrong people in charge um, who I really don't believe care about levelling up. You know, they've talked about levelling up. Sorry, this is probably getting a little bit political, but um, you know, we've had this government in place, you know, this party in place for, you know, 12 years. Um, that the rich poor divide has got wider. Um, the le leveling up has got worse. Um, yes, I know there have been the, the pandemic and everything else, but you know, it does seem certainly when you read the press, the, the rich get richer and the, and the poor get poorer. And then I can't help but feel until we have um, a change in not just even in politics, but almost like in society, and we kind of understand the reality of what's going on in the world when it comes to media when it comes to you know the left and right and and everything else I, I can't I can't see how we're going to solve this other than organizations like the NEA and, and you know the good work people like Jess and Matt doing and because um, councils are hamstrung you know the councils they've had their budgets cut my wife works for Birmingham City Council here they've had cut after cut after cut um, they can't afford to be supporting um, people anymore, anymore in, in any great extent. So it's kind of down to the third sector or public sector, uh, sorry, private sector to support people. And I'm not sure that's right. You know, I think it should yeah. be the, the, you know, the government, I think it should be put the um, yeah. public sector that does it. So sorry, that's, that's probably why I was just looking a bit forlorn. Yeah, and... no, that's, that, that's fine. Um, I could, I could see that on your face. Um, and just before I move on to you, Matt, that I heard something uh, the other day that from, um, Iceland, the food retailer, and, and the, the, the leader of Iceland was saying they're losing more customers now to food banks than other retailers. And that, that you know, and just sort of 
listen to that for a moment and digest it, you just kind of go, wow. The fifth, is crazy. fifth, sixth largest economy in the world. You know, that's, it's disgusting, really. It's shocking. Yeah. Russell Trust are estimating that around 5,100 food parcels are being given out every single day at the moment through food, through food banks. Wow. Um, so the extent that it's just huge it really is um, and thank god that they're there to support oh, yeah. people when they need it um, but um, you know we need we need more than that really um, and you know, what you're saying Andy there about um, maybe we need like a societal change a culture change what mm. um, what we sort of really need to see is um, an, an equitable approach to this we need to mm. see that the people that are struggling the most are supported the most it's not yeah. about being equal and having a blanket approach to support it's not you know if you look at the recent support that's been announced by government of the council tax rebate and and the loan on on energy bills and yeah. the amount of people that are accessing those that or, or not not even by choice because it's something that everybody's just going to receive yeah. but the amount of people that don't need that is on really social media loads of people have said it haven't they you're right Absolutely. And, and actually, one of the things that, that we've done in response to that with a number of calls is, is a um, we've started a campaign, a donate the rebate campaign um, for those that are receiving the council tax rebate, but actually don't need it. Um, yeah. And we are obviously being very careful to make sure that these people really aren't struggling um, because you, you'll be amazed that even people on the lowest incomes that struggle are actually some of the most generous people yeah. um, that are around so and really want to help. Um, so we are trying to make sure that, you know, they're safeguarded and, and appropriate to do so. But if you really don't need it, if you're, you know, you're one of those people who can absorb these additional costs, but you're going to receive that £150 cancel tax rebate, um, then, you know, donating it to us or to anybody else that's doing a similar campaign, we know it can go further and support people. Um, and that's us trying to react to the fact that yeah. they're taking this blanket approach, really. Cool. Great campaign. Uh, I, I mean, how, how, how's that going so far? We, are you sort of getting lots of interest from people? I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. It only launched on Friday, but we instantly got people donating. So the fact that it only launched on Friday, people haven't even had the money yet because that doesn't come until April. But yeah. people are already cool. making that donation because they know how much of a problem it is so, so do they do they go to your website and sign up is that is that what, what happens yeah there is a there's a there's a donate the rebate page on our website so they can go there if they if that's what people would like to do cool that's that's wonderful and uh matt um i think th i'm going to assume for a second that, that you agree with jess that not enough was done um when when these recent price rises were announced what what sort of one or two things would you have liked to have seen the government do to, to help more? Yeah, I, I, I think that, so I, I obviously completely agree with Jess and the what has been done is just nowhere near commensurate with the problem of, the problems that some people face. And I just, I just want to outline some of those problems that people face. So someone who uses a prepayment meter currently paying about £1,200 per year for their energy uh, we know about 140,000 people every year who use a prepayment meter run out of credit on their meter and can't afford to top it up for a period of time. 800 extra pounds on their bill will mean that that, that amount of time 
will be longer for those people. Yeah. And it will be weeks, maybe months, that they cannot afford to power or heat their home. So people will literally go cold over winter. And I don't think that is me being um, exaggerating of the issue. We see already people mm. who self-disconnect for very long periods of time. So those people who are currently doing currently having to do that to, to make ends meet will, will, will have to go without for longer and there will be more people who can't top up because they can't afford it. That That is a very serious issue where people will be cold at home, becoming ill at home, um, and unfortunately, uh, becoming some becoming very, very ill. And, and they will die. People, you yeah. know, people are going to die. Uh, 100%. People die in the current circumstances because they can't afford energy and more people will unfortunately die if energy is less affordable. What the government has done is two things. So firstly, they've given essentially a £200 loan to people. We as a charity would never, ever go to someone who's struggling and offer them a loan to cover their energy costs. And I don't think anyone would ever encourage us to do so. So that is not an appropriate solution for those people that are suffering. I can't, I can't find anyone who would disagree with me. The second is a £150 rebate for people on council tax bans A to D. Um, it's welcome that people are going to get some respite. £150 compared to £700 is nowhere near meeting the challenge. And council tax bans A to D isn't particularly targeted. It's 80% of all households, but that 20% that don't receive it will include dual poor households. So... I don't think what the government has done is anywhere near what is needed to, to meet the challenge that we face as a country. In terms of what the government could do and what they should have done, in our opinion, is we think there needs to be an 18-month plan for this, at least. So there should be support now for people. This isn't something that's going to hit. It's going to hit next winter. It's also hitting people now. So we, we would like to see a rebate to households from their energy bills now, essentially, April. Um, we also believe that um, next winter is going to be a problem. There's two existing schemes that can be used to help people. So firstly, the warm home discount, uh, which currently is about £140 and goes to about 2 million people. We think that could go to more people and could be significantly higher in value to those people. And we think the winter fuel payment could be altered as well. So currently, if you are over the age of 66, you get two or three hundred pounds every winter to help with your energy bills. We think that should go to more people, um, those people who are on means-tested benefits of working age. So that's what can happen next winter. But then following on from that, there's more that can be done to make sure energy, energy becomes more affordable. So during this period, we expect lots of people to come into debt um, and, and rack up big debts with their energy suppliers. We know people have done that during the COVID lockdown periods and we, it was going to be exacerbated. So we think government um, should be helping those people to, to, to clear those debts more quickly. So you could have, for example, a debt matching, a debt, a debt repayment matching scheme where for, for every pound someone pays to clear their energy debts or utility debts, uh, the government could contribute a pound and that would doubly accelerate the repayment of those debts. That will help households. It would also help energy suppliers as well because it, it, would, it would help clear their bad debt. And then it was mentioned earlier for the social tariff. So the price cap 
is a fair deal for energy. It is um, a, a pass through of the co- the real costs that suppliers face onto their customers, but it is not designed to be an affordable price for energy. And what we need to be looking at now is how can we give struggling households an affordable price for energy? And the only way you can do that is to have a separate social tariff for them that is mandatory for all suppliers, that's targeted at those who need it, that is lower than the price cap. Um, and that provides people with an opportunity to, to, to pay a price that they can actually afford for energy. And if we did all those things, we still probably wouldn't completely mitigate everything for everyone, but we'd be much in a much better position to make sure that more people or less people suffer um, from these huge increases in prices. Yeah, absolutely spot on that. Um, and just, just thinking, um, I was going to ask you all, to kind of predict the future and how you saw it, but I think you've, you've painted what the, the future in terms of the next two or three, four years looks like, and it, it looks pretty bleak unless real action is taken. Now, Matt, you've outlined a number of points there that, that I think are pretty clear. Um, I guess I just want to ask both Jess and Andy um, for maybe two things that, that they would support um, and, and I guess, Andy, from your point of view, um, whether as a retailer, you would support a social tariff and, and, and maybe, you know, is there a, an, a, a, an action after this podcast today to say, you know what, we'll, we'll support that. Where do we sign? How do we do it? How do we get this, this action moving? So, yeah, Andy, what do you, I mean, what do you think? I mean, yes. Um, obviously, we've got to you know work out how how it's going to get paid for and everything else. But absolutely right. Um, it's because it's a it's a square we've tried to circle ourselves and haven't necessarily got the answers. But yeah, speaking to the, these sorts of you know to Matt, the mats and the Jesses of the world, it can only help. But if I if I had my magic wand, Ian, as well, just briefly, we need investment. You know, we need investment in solar panels on roofs and storage in houses we need you know more wind farms and more solar we may even need more nuclear in a you know an interim period which i'm not a fan of but just from a you know being able to afford energy uh, we, we need more resilience built in and this is invest massive scale investment that probably can only be done at a government type level but it is investment and you will get your money back you know all of these sorts of things do have a return the problem we have in the political cycle is again i've talked about this on other podcasts is um you know our politicians are there for a term or or two terms and thinking in kind of four and eight year blocks rather than 10 20 years blocks you know the will is there the technology is there to be able to solve these things because if everyone had a solar panel and storage in their house you know store the store the energy in it during the day use it during the night you know a lot of these problems would go away so the the solutions are there. We just need the kind of political will to, to, to do it. So, you know, I am optimistic just about. Okay. And um, we need to reform the energy market as well. Is it is it right supply, distribution and transmission, you know, organisations are for profit, for example? I'm not, I don't think it is. So I think we need we need to re- look at reform for, across the whole industry. Okay, thanks, Andy. And um, just thinking from, from you then, Jess, um, I know you've done a lot of work uh, sort of looking at tariff in the water industry um what what do you think we could do in energy just quickly what do you think we could do in energy that would learn from the social tariff of, of water 
Um, so I think it's important to note that um, water are also trying to learn from energy in some places as well. Um, so I think, um, you know, things like the uh, automatic involvement for the core group of the warm home discount, water are looking to try and implement that into the design of their social tariff, which is great. But there's bound to be stuff that can be learned from the other side, as you say. Um, I think um, for me, to that supports guaranteed is something that would be really important that you know it's not a matter of being a it's first come first serve and when funding runs out it's done um i think to be able to know that that's there it, it is really important um so that would be something i'd absolutely encourage um matt already mentioned things like the debt write-off that's something that water companies already do they match pound for pound absolutely yeah. try and do the same thing um, and some of the attitudes I think as well I've been on conversations similar to this where I've spoken and water companies uh, representatives are there and they've actually said you know some people no matter what you do may just never be able to pay and we need to acknowledge that they still need the service yeah. but we need to think right realistically can they ever do this and yeah. so making decisions on an earlier basis you know trying to say realistically what does this look like truly assessing somebody's ability to pay is yeah. really important with all of this yeah spot on um just one final thing for me that i certainly what what i saw in, in my experience of energy you could end up with customers with a prepayment meter um that would unlikely pay the debt back in their lifetime and and i mean you know it's it's irresponsible i think from a from a a line of credit perspective to have that situation so i think definitely more that we can be doing in energy uh, but also remembering against the backdrop of you know company survival also um so so that, that's one thing we need to bear in mind so yeah. we, we've reached the end of the podcast thank you very much everybody uh, another great podcast this week um if uh, you're listening and you, you want to hear uh, more from our podcast, please subscribe. Equally, if you're looking for a mentor, want to become a mentor, just uh, go and take a look at us at www.futureleadersmentoring.com. Tap the join us button and we'll be in touch. Um, but enough for us this week. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening and for uh, you guys for joining us um, again. So thank you very much. And we will speak to you again soon. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, everyone.